1: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. I'm going to start this episode by doing something different. I'm typing a question into chat GPT. What makes a good podcast host? Okay, immediately it's generating some responses here. It says, a good podcast host possesses several key qualities that contribute to the success of their show. Here are some characteristics that make a good podcast host. Nine bullet points, each with a little paragraph. Among them, it says, strong communication skills, engaging personality, active listening, preparation, and organization. Okay, Looks like I'm going to have to double check my credentials, but before I do that, let's try another question. To chat GPT, I'm going to ask, how can San Francisco fix homelessness? Man, this thing is fast. Okay, it's generating a response and... It says, while I can provide some general strategies, it's important to note that solving homelessness requires the involvement and coordination of various stakeholders, including government agencies, community organizations, and the private sector. I mean, that sounds right. That sounds right. It's got 10 bullet points. One of them, it says... Data-driven approaches. Using data and research to inform decision-making and resource allocation is essential. San Francisco could invest in comprehensive data collection and analysis to identify trends, measure the impact of interventions, and guide policy development. Wow. Okay, so this sounds legit. One of the city's biggest crises broken down into 10 steps. Does Mayor Breed know about chat GPT? Do you? If you haven't played with it yet, you've probably at least heard about it. ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence tool that was made public and free in November. The writing tool has gone viral recently, and it's showing us just how far AI has come. It can generate text quickly, as you just heard. It can answer practically any question you give it and spit out coherent, smart-sounding answers and generate things like poems recipes, essays, advice, and email responses. You can spend quite a bit of time on this, and it feels kind of like you're talking to a human. And that, of course, is making a lot of people nervous. Today on Fifth Emission, Evan Wagstaff, the director of newsroom engineering at Hearst Newspapers, is here to explain how this technology works and how people are using it right now. What makes it exciting and what are its limitations? Later, Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker will join me to talk about how the technology is changing classrooms. It's the ultimate cheating tool for students. Or is it? She'll explain how some educators are learning to embrace ChatGPT instead of fearing it. Let's start with my conversation with Evan Wagstaff, Hearst's Director of Newsroom Engineering. Evan, lots of chatter about what ChatGPT is. Answer that question for me. Let's start there. What is it?
2: I think a lot of people do know what it is. It has about 100 million active users a month. But I can answer in a way for uh, someone who's never tried it, what it is. ChatGPT is a website. And when you go to that website, you'll see a text box. You can put anything you want in that text box. It could be a question. It could be the start of a poem. ChatGPT will respond to you in a way that completes either the answer or whatever you started
1: so this is kind of like a more sophisticated version of maybe the customer service text box we see pop up in the corner of a screen on like a website
2: there definitely have been chatbots in the past what's unique about ChatGPT is behind it you've got this gigantic model that's been trained on hundreds of billions of words across the internet and it references those words to decide how to respond so it's not some canned response from a chatbot it's trying to find the best response to really any question you have. At the very basic level, it finds the next best word. So if you enter once upon, it will know the next words are probably a time. But there is a lot more complicated logic going on behind that. And it, it seems to know the cadence of a conversation and uh, answers appropriately. So it's, it's an incredible piece of technology.
1: Mm-hmm. And what makes this very unique is that this is a very powerful tool and it's free. It's, it's open to anyone. Tell me how anyone can access it right now.
2: Anyone can go to chat.openai.com right now, create an account, and start chatting with ChatGPT. And I do think you're right. What's unique about it is that it's free. GPT as a technology has been around for a long time. There's been several iterations of it. But ChatGPT is the first time it's been made public and for free. Anyone can go ask their questions, ask it to write an essay for them ask it to banter with them about some topic. I think people are really starting to understand the power of the technology.
1: Mm. So this is a powerful thing. Tell me about who made ChatGPT and what was its original vision?
2: OpenAI is the company behind ChatGPT. It was founded in San Francisco in 2015. So they've been working for a long time before they made any kind of splash at all. OpenAI says that their mission is to, and I'm going to quote this, ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all humanity. And that's a great quote because it does kind of point to kind of the fears behind AI, that some of this development could be out of control. You could have AIs developing other AIs. So OpenAI has been pretty open about their intentions, what they're trying to do to minimize that risk. They're out there creating and iterating on this software No signs in stopping that development at this point.
1: And of course, we know, Evan, that artificial intelligence has been around for a while. Why is this such a big deal? Aside from it being powerful and free to anyone, how does it compare to other AI technologies we've seen so far?
2: Yeah, I think what's interesting and different about ChatGPT is that for the first time, people are really convinced that what they might be talking to is human. The, The experience is incredibly uncanny. It does a great human impression. And it's really shocking the depth of its knowledge and how quickly it can respond to any question you have. But zooming out even further, it's a huge deal because the technology behind it, GPT, it's accessible with an API and it's going to be integrated in a whole suite of things. And really, I would not be surprised in the next couple of years you have GPT writing your first draft of an email response because it has that initial email. It knows how you write email. So it's going to write it as you and it's going to do a pretty good job.
1: Tell me about the range of how people are using ChatGPT right now.
2: It can tell you about a person in history. It can tell you about a complex subject. What it does really well is uh, restyle text that's already written. So I can do fun things like, say, write me this poem in the style of pirate. It can do really helpful things. Say you're a student trying to write an essay. You have the essay prompt. Slip that prompt into ChatGPT, it will output an entire essay for you. So mm. it's incredibly knowledgeable, can do a whole variety of things.
1: And give me an example of Chat GPT at its best, where we can really see its intelligence and its full capabilities on full display. You're saying it can mimic your voice really well. What have you seen it do?
2: Well, they are improving these models behind ChatGPT every day. And I always like to ask it some questions with some underlying conversational nuance and see what new things it can pick up. And one example, not my example, but I really like, how many hearts are in an apple? Hmm. It is a complete nonsense question. It doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, earlier versions of GPT would just play along and say, two hearts are in an apple. Newer, more advanced versions of GPT will respond, well, there are no hearts in an apple. And if you prompt on that, say, well, what about the hearts that I see when I bite into an apple? It'll say, oh, what you see are actually air pockets that are created when the fruit matures. Mm. What an advanced answer. And it understands my underlying miscommunication.
1: Well, I want to use an example for our own industry or the journalism industries. You're the director of newsroom engineering for her. So how could ChatGPT be a game changer for us?
2: ChatGPT and news, there's an underlying problem there, and that is ChatGPT when it lacks context, will completely invent details. And inventing details is not great for a news business. What it does really well, though, and what's useful for us, it does an extremely accurate job at restyling things, summarizing existing text that has plenty of content. And so right now, we at Hearst Newspapers are working on a way that we can use ChatGPT to create social posts, and create news alerts. And these are all kind of different styles of the same text that already exists. We can have GPT help us with that and really save people some time.
1: Mm. Could it replace a podcast host?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Cecilia. I'm Dave. I'm the new host of Checks, Notes, Fifth and Mission. You know, great question. Some people are really worried about the capacity for gpt to replace their jobs Mm -hmm. and i think that's a legitimate worry i mean some people have, have a mind to do that i think especially in the news industry it's important to keep a human in the loop what is valuable isn't necessarily the stuff that gpt outputs but the editorial insight that goes into that so always have someone read that
1: so job security aside why are some people nervous about this kind of technology i mean we certainly can see some concerns here but what are people raising right now
2: well, the technology is moving so fast and uh, there is a science fiction scenario in which you know people are worried about a runaway AI. You've actually seen tech leaders submit a letter calling for a pause in AI development and partially behind this fear that an AI might learn to self-improve and uh, create more and more advanced code. Of course, it's connected to the internet. It could do anything to disrupt society if it were misaligned, which is a term for uh, you know an AI whose goal isn't to help people. That's a legitimate concern. Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, says there's a chance of that, which is pretty mm. scary. But they're also open about the fact that they've recognized these risks and they're looking at mitigating them.
1: Well, let's talk about the things that chat can't do since it seems to be able to do quite a bit. What limitations does it have?
2: If folks get into the service and, and they're trying to use it to its full extent, what you might notice is the, the limit of the context window. So you cannot give it a 20-page document and say summarize this. It is a, a limit about three pages of information that it can summarize. So that's that's great for most everyday questions and conversations. But if you have a long-running conversation, it'll start to forget little details that you've mentioned before. Another limit you'll find is that the data cutoff is 2021. So it has a lot to say about Taylor Swift if you ask who is Taylor Swift, but it has nothing to say about Ice Spice or anything that's uh, more recent.
1: Mm. I I don't really know who iSpice is, but I don't know what my excuse
2: is. We all have data cut off. It's okay.
1: (laughs) Well, Evan, since you've had time to play with this and see the range of its capabilities, what are you most excited about with this technology and what makes you personally concerned?
2: I think my concern is around how fast the technology is moving. Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, has said, you know, it's up to legislators in part to regulate the development of this. And, you know... I don't think legislators responded fast enough to social media. <laughs> and now we're talking about AI. So I think it's going to be really important for these companies to do their part in making sure these things are you know, aligned as best they can. And up to us, who are ultimately the customers of these products, to um, you know, make sure that we're pushing and, and that these regulations are important to us. Mm. I'm excited, though. This technology is so pervasive that folks know what they're dealing with. And they're going to start running into this stuff every day. So get on chat.openai.com. Take a look at what this thing can do and uh, you'll be impressed. Mm.
1: Well, Evan, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Cecilia. Many students have been using ChatGPT to cheat on their assignments. So why are some teachers embracing artificial intelligence in the classroom? Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker joins fifth and Mission host, at least for now. You feel me? Cecilia Lay, after a quick break.
1: We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. I'm back with Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker. Jill, before the break, we heard our colleague Evan Wagstaff explain some chat GPT concerns. Educators also expressed some worries when it launched to the public in November. How have students been using the technology to cut corners in the classroom?
0: As it was clear the first second it dropped online, um, this program allowed students to basically just type in a prompt of any kind, including the one assigned to them by their teacher, and it would spew out. You know, an essay. You could tell ChatGPT write a five paragraph essay, argumentative essay, or you know, opinion or whatever about you know the red hat and catcher in the rye, and it would write an essay for you. And you know, I think the concern then, and as some teachers have seen, was that students would use it to do the work rather than doing it themselves, and that was happening, and it it still is. I played with it. You could plug in an algebra problem and it'll solve it for you, including all the little steps you have to, mm. you know, show your work. Right. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty amazing. But surprisingly, as you know, in your reporting, this panic from educators has started to ebb and they see the technology as an educational opportunity. Tell me more about that.
0: A lot of teachers are really realizing right now that this is new technology just like we've gone through many, many times over um, you know, whether that was, you know, a VCR or the cell phone and in the internet and all of these things that whenever they came around were going to cause this negative effect on our lives. But what they're seeing now, just, just like those cases, is that this technology has a lot of promise in terms of using it as an education tool and coming up with really interesting lesson plans, I think everybody's really just at the edge of figuring out how best to use this. And, and not to mention just with all the little menial tasks that we have to do, like sending emails or writing up you know, descriptions or things like that, ChatGPT will do that exponentially faster than teachers can. And, you know, some teachers told me they're getting their nights and weekends back because Hmm. ChatGPT can write that email a lot faster than they can. So or come up with ideas for lesson plans and then they can, you know,
1: modify them for, for their class. What's an example of a productive way that the technology is being used? Yeah, so one of my favorites
0: that a teacher talked about was instead of assigning that stereotypical five-paragraph argumentative essay that we all had to do, Mm -hmm. that you basically assign ChatGPT a side in a debate about that topic, and you debate ChatGPT back and forth, and then you turn in that debate written Mm -hmm. down as your assignment. I mean, yes, you could still cheat and have ChatGPT do both sides, but you know what, what you'll see in that and what good teachers can see is that if ChatGPT were doing the whole thing, it would look the same. But if you have ChatGPT doing one side and the student doing the other side, you'll know that there are two different voices, there are two different things, but the student is really engaged in the idea that they are debating a computer Mm-hmm. And they are coming up with their arguments and essentially writing that five-paragraph essay, but they're just doing it in response to ChatGPT and and what they're arguing. And they also used it in one case. One teacher was working with students on their college essays, and she basically had ChatGPT come up with five different essays about the same subject, right? Five separate essays, but give the prompts of different tone, or different style, you know, maybe happy, maybe sad, and then have the students read that and really understand like how tone and the style of writing can completely change how Mm -hmm. that message is received or what it looks like. And so they, you know, that really resonated with the students. They all of a sudden could see in a very real way how writing styles and how looking at how you're using language really makes a difference.
1: Hmm. It sort of sounds like, at least for the teachers who are embracing using this technology, it's helping them understand how former formats in the classroom are sort of outdated at this point.
0: Yeah. You know, and that was the thing that was really interesting to me, whether talking to college professors or in in K-12. That, you know, what a lot of folks were saying is, you know, this is going to force us to rethink what we assign and how we assign it. You know, maybe if AI can write that five-paragraph essay about the red hat and Catcher in the Rye, we shouldn't be assigning that. Hmm. You know, how many times do we need to read the same essay about what the red hat symbolizes, right? Is that a good way? Is it, is that interesting to students? You know, is, are they actually learning an argumentative style by sort of reinventing the wheel again and again and again? And college professors are saying, look, if chat GPT or AI could complete the assignment that we're giving students, Like, what is a college education worth at that point, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, I mean, just like a calculator, you know, yes, you want to teach math, you want to teach multiplication and division, but really calculators can do so much more. So teach them why they might need that number or the idea of what that number means and not drill basic information that, you know, a computer can do. What we want people to do is think critically. Mm
1: -hmm. And computers
0: and AI and chat GPT cannot do
1: that. And are teachers and educators having to grapple with sort of ethical dilemmas with chat GPT? I mean, obviously, we have to rethink curriculum and instruction, but there's probably some ethical issues being raised, too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And not just education, but across all fields, our field, right? Right. right. It's, you know, authentic, original work. It's just a, a machine did it using the vast universe of knowledge that's out there. But, I, you know, obviously, if you are assigned to do something and you have the computer do it for you, that is academic dishonesty. So the reality is, you know, cheating has been around for a really long time. And they've always had to find ways, whether they were writing notes on their arm, crib sheets, texting friends in the middle of tests, the old cliff notes that some of us had when we were young before there was the internet. Once educators realized this this is cheating and, and they always are looking to educate students about why they should be academically honest, why they shouldn't cheat, why they shouldn't plagiarize and what that is. So all of that type of education still needs to happen, but now there's a new way To cheat, and they have to bring that in and talk about the ethics of that and those types
1: of things. So, that's definitely happening across the Bay Area and the country. Now, some school districts have gone as far as just banning AI technology altogether. We're talking about districts in LA and New York. Why do some experts say that approach is wrong?
0: Well, I think the way they see it just, you know, like they did the internet is that you can't. You know, the reality is it exists. To try to keep it out of the schools doesn't mean that it's not in the homes or the student devices that they have. The people that are looking at it, you know, their their thought is it's here. AI is here. It's here to stay. It's embedded in many of the things that we already use. We just don't know it. To try to block it, as one professor told me, reminds him of 1993 when, you know, professors were trying to block the Internet. And, of course, now we can't live without it. And and neither can they. And so I think the advice that those folks are giving, they're saying, look, it's here. Learn about it. Understand it. And then figure out how you can use it. And that might mean having to make different lesson plans. You know, you can't just do it the old way. Let's think about how we can
1: use this and acknowledge that it's not going away. Right. And how are kids feeling about it? I mean, beyond just getting a big boost of help on their assignments, how else are they thinking about this technology?
0: You know, one of those students I talked to, just like all of us, if we've ever seen the Terminator or 2001 A Space Odyssey, (laughs) you know, this feels a little scary that this machine that you could type in and any prompt and it'll it'll respond to you like a conversation with a person. So it's a little freaky, but you know, kids are they embrace technology perhaps more easily than than adults and you know, they're still trying to figure it out too. They're still trying to understand where the lines are. How can they use it you know in a way that isn't academic dishonesty. but I think in general kids are very quick to embrace this stuff mm-hmm. and are, they're not afraid of it. You know the more you get to know it, the more you're like, oh, I could put in you know this I need to understand what something is, a definition or something like that and and it'll you know, just like Google kind of spew forth what that is. And I think even journalists and other people are looking at it just like we do with Google or, or sitting next to a friend and our coworker and talking about your story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. You can bounce ideas off of it, but it is scary. And I think students, they're embracing it, but I think they're also, you know, they know they can use it to cheat. So I think there's a little, where's that line? Mm-hmm. And, and that's something, you know, we'll all have to tackle. Where is the line of, of using this technology for good,
1: And avoiding the technology for evil. Right. Well, fascinating topic, Jill. Thanks so much for your insights. I appreciate it, as always.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: It was fun. Jill Tucker is an education reporter at The Chronicle. Thanks to her and to Evan Wagstaff for being my guests. You too, AI Dave.
2: Cecilia, you're welcome.
1: You can read Jill's reporting at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening.